Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that uh, we're here today, Lord, because we love you. We want to learn from you. And we pray, Lord, that today's seed that's going to be deposited in our lives today, Lord, will inspire us, challenge us, and make us think about a few things, especially the fact, Lord, that you have, you, you want to deposit such tremendous uh, potential on each and every one of us. I pray, Lord, that after today, truly we all can see ourselves as you see us. In Jesus' name we pray. Turn your neighbor, tell him, get ready. God is going to speak to you today. Guys, you can tell him that, all right? If you need a Bible, an usher will bring one to you. As we continue our series on superheroes and sidekicks, I want to get right to the nitty-gritty of this lesson by helping you understand that today we're going to not only talk about the greatest hero of all time, which is Jesus Christ. Can I hear amen from the church? but also the fact that you and me are the sidekicks, okay? And we're going to get into that a little deeper in just a second. As a matter of fact, being a sidekick for Jesus was not limited to a select few, but was the expectation that Jesus had from each and every one of us. Now, if you remember the last time I was speaking here, I made the point that a follower of Jesus is not defined as a Christian, but a follower of Jesus is defined as a disciple of Christ. Do we have any disciples in the house this morning? Okay. Which means a follower, not a standby or on the bench waiting to be called in. As a matter of fact, look what it says with me in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Okay. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him. Anybody here abiding in Christ? All right. So this applies to you. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It doesn't say ought to just believe the same things he believed, but it says ought to walk in the same way. Everybody say the same way. Amen. Now, when you analyze that scripture, and here's something that we have to really begin to process a little bit. As we read a verse in the Bible or a chapter or whatever the case may be, each of us have to analyze not only how does it apply to us, but how do I exercise its application. Because you're going to find that most of the New Testament reading is about application. Everybody say application. So just this one verse alone is already challenging us where we stand with Jesus. It's not how we choose to walk, but how he walked. In other words, walk the word, don't just talk the word. Turn your neighbor tell him, walk the word, don't just talk the word. But let's face it, man, we got a lot of folks talking the word, but they're not necessarily walking the word. The reason for this is because Jesus sees such a bigger picture about you when you got saved. He sees such a bigger picture. What I hope today is help you see this picture. And it has nothing to do with how much success you have in life because you may already be a successful person. But being successful is not up to Jesus. It's up to you. I'm gonna, I want to share something with you, okay? And, and I know that I've, had, I've said this before, but it's important to understand that, you know, a person doesn't necessarily need Jesus to be successful. Just ask Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. Can I hear an amen out there? Okay? So don't equate, like, you know, some people, like, may come to church and think that, well, the only way I can be successful is if I have Jesus in my life. Not necessarily, but I tell you what, your success will have eternal value with Jesus in your life. 
That's the difference, okay? And, what, and, and when it comes to being successful in Jesus, it's not only being successful with your talent, with your trade, with your career, but it's also being successful in how he wants you to be a world impactor. And what I mean by a world impactor, I'm talking about you impacting the world around you for Jesus. Any world impactors in the house today, okay? The expectation is to be a, a light. That means guide. The expectation is to be salt. That means influence. Now, I'm going to deposit today in your minds a thoughtful challenge. And here it comes. When you are talking to people about Jesus, does their vision of him remain blurry or is it clear cut? In other words, when you're going to talk to somebody about Christ, okay, after you've had that conversation, are they still confused about who Jesus is or are you like killer cut? No, you have to understand something. Jesus is the only way. Are you hearing me this morning? Okay, that's how clear cut it has to be. But the problem a lot is we're afraid maybe to be a little offensive or we don't want to be too rough or too tough. And we sort of give this blurry vision of Jesus, and people may leave that conversation not really sure who in the world are you talking about. When Jesus identified himself so clearly, when he was up on that cross covering the sin price that we ought to be covering ourselves. How many are grateful for Jesus this morning? Okay. That's right. So is it clear cut? I mean, do, here's the thing. Do people want to be around you because you are helping them to feel good about themselves in Christ? You know, adding the right kind of flavor because you have some salt, or are you still a bland Christian yourself? Now, here's the thing. You know, how many know that, yeah, there are certain Christians that have way too much salt. Are you hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> Bible thumper. Just, just. Can't have a normal conversation with them. Does anybody know a few people like that? It's like they got to spiritualize everything. How many know it's hot outside today? You're around one of these, you know, way salty Christians, and if you say, man, I'm so thirsty, they'd be like, you got to be thirsty for the Lord. That's what you need to be, right? They, they just want to spiritualize everything. Or maybe you lost your car key. You're wondering where your car keys are, and they're like, you need the keys to the kingdom. That's what you need. I don't even drive a kingdom. I drive a Nissan Altima, okay? Just for the record, by the way. You guys ever sit around a dinner table and you ask one of these very salty Christians to pray over the food? They take so much time, so much time man, that the salad already turned to trial mix. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're just going on and on. Way too much salt, right? Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, you know, I think I know a few of those right here at Faith Church, right? Okay? But in the end, here's the thing. It's about making sure we get the big picture that Christ has of each and every one of us. And this is what he expects. That's why my first point, write it in your notes, get the big picture. And I'm not talking about faith church. Listen, get the big picture about yourself. This is about you. Look at your neighbor, tell him, this is about you. Get the big picture. It begins with the old wax on and wax off theology found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Here's what it says. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of who? In the image of its creator. Now, again, this is one of those very thought 
thought-provoking verses. You just can't read this verse and say amen. This verse is telling us that when you became born again, something came off and something new is coming on. Turn to your neighbor and tell them what came off. Go ahead, tell them. Yes, something came off and something new is coming on. Why do I say coming on? Because how many know that the mind renewing is a daily process? When you begin born again, yes, you were instantly saved, but the change is a daily process. This is how we learn to walk in this way. New knowledge, new way of thinking, new way of acting, something that we need to put on. Consider this your new spiritual Superman or Superwoman cape. So that cape with that, with that fine sister up there, you know, with the Bible. Guess what? How many know that you and me got to put on a new spiritual cape as well? Okay? Yes, it's a process. Okay, and it does take time, but you have now entered. Keep in mind, you became born again. The Bible says you were sanctified. So when you were sanctified, you have now entered into the arena known as holiness living. Holiness living doesn't mean perfect living. Holiness living is living with the consciousness that you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That means, yes, God is watching all the time. Not sometimes. He's continually watching when you're having your ups, your downs, whether you're doing something you should not be doing, and when you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing. Is anybody listening to me this morning? Okay. He's with you all the time. He will never, ever abandon you. But this is what it means to live in holiness. Now, let me define this for you. Holiness living means to separate ourselves from the sinful values of this world. Notice what I said, sinful values of this world. What that means is that there probably were things going on in your life that you really didn't pay much attention to before. Maybe you didn't care about coming to church. Maybe you didn't care much about praying. Maybe you didn't care much about reading the Bible, not worrying about where you are, where you, what are you watching, your bad habits, how you're behaving. But sinful values are worldly values that we exercise with no conviction. Let's think about that for a second. Before you became born again, you know, maybe you were a good person, but you didn't necessarily think twice about what was good, what was bad, what was sinful, what was not sinful. Yeah, maybe you had a social consciousness of trying to do the right thing. But in the end, listen, it had nothing to do with God. It just had to do with you and maybe your image that you want to portray to other people. But when you became born again, now certain things come with conviction. You want to think twice about certain things, especially now that you've been indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And as you're reading God's word and living a life led by biblical principles, like I said, it's not going to make you a fanatic. It's not going to make you this spiritually overt person, but certainly it's going to give you conviction about certain things. Wax on, wax off. Amen. Are you getting this this morning? Now, I'm going to tell you straight up, because now that you became born again, the game changes. The playing field changes. The rules change. And I will tell you straight up, if your values, your priorities, or character have not been impacted since you became born again, then you probably have not become born again. It's as simple as that. In other words, maybe you made Jesus your friend. Maybe you made Jesus your Savior, but you have not made him your Lord. If there's absolutely no changes going on in your life, and Jesus requires Lordship, okay? He requires lordship. But by the way, that's not a hard thing. As a matter of fact, I tend to believe that the closer you come to Jesus, the easier life will actually become. And I think that's what everybody misses. 
Granted, I grew up in a very legalistic community. I grew up in a community where it wasn't about so much the Bible. It was simply about the do's and the don'ts. And believe me, there were a lot of don'ts. For every 50 don'ts, there was like one do. And you know what that do was? Going to church. Hello. <laughs> right? That was the only do we got to do, man. Go to church. Or if we went to the beach, we stood out like a sore thumb. Because the pastor would not let the ladies wear bathing suits. They had to wear jean dresses down to their ankles and go in the water that way. I'm dating myself, ain't I? Some of you young people looking at me, real. what world did he belong to? Uh, yeah. That's right. Anytime my kids have complaints about church, I said, sit down, let me tell you some stories. Okay? You got, yeah. You, listen, our kids, our teens have it so well here at Faith Church. It is ridiculous. It really, I'm like, oh, no, this is, come on, man. Are you kidding me? You know, back then, we didn't have this awesome worship, you know, all this stuff. No, it was all raw. Do you know, now that you got me on this tangent here, uh, it's all your fault. Um, we never even had worship rehearsals. Here's what, Ross is my witness, she'll tell you. This is what we do. Worship, right? We had one person lead worship, and even if it was a new song, they had to work it out while they're leading worship. Can you imagine that? Okay. But can I tell you something? Somehow, God anointed that. Hello, somebody. God anointed that. You know, I had word, like I said, you got me in this tangent. It's all your fault. I had one worship, one worship ministry had me send them a picture of our stage, right? You know, because they want to see. And they had the audacity to say, oh, the sound reinforcement isn't big enough. I'm like, what? You know what? You can keep your worship ministry to yourself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's all about the heart. Everything comes down to the Yeah, back then, man, it was crazy. But you know, back and I'm talking 46 years ago, people used to get saved right off the streets, man. And, 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 and if you heard the worship back then compared to today, you're like, how in the world they got saved? Folks, now you know the anointing is flowing when you see that. But here's the thing. Think about it. Even back then, people weren't perfect. People weren't. But you know what? God was still exercising the big picture in all these people's lives because they simply surrendered to him. Think about what, what God can do through you. If you surrendered completely to him, that, my friends, is the big picture. That's why when you go back to Colossians, something had to come off and something new had to come on. Once born again, the whole picture and the atmosphere changes. It is important that we can see the big picture, that divine purpose that God has for our life. I mean, you need to look beyond what you see with the human eye when it comes to life and when it comes to eternal life, which leads me to my second point. Write it down. The big picture involves you with the harvest. Now, really pay close attention to this because I'm going to get into a study here that even blew my mind away. I spoke a little bit about this in the midweek Bible study, but it wasn't until I took a second look at this that God revealed something to me. 
I must have read this scripture a hundred times in my 46 years of being born again. And he revealed to me something like this week while I was preparing this that I didn't see before. And it truly is a game changer. How many are into game changers? This one is a game changer. Remember what I said. The big picture involves you with the harvest. It is one thing to see our own image, but another to see the image of God in all of us. That image is one with not only Jesus in mind, in mind but what he expects from each and every one of us. And when Jesus sees you, he is watching each of you with the harvest in mind. Okay, let's paint it here. I know what's coming to your mind when you hear the word harvest, and when you leave today, I guarantee you every single one of you guys are going to have a whole different interpretation of what the harvest actually means. But I want to repeat the point, and then I'll go into it. When Jesus sees each and every one of you, he sees you with the harvest in mind. Say the harvest in mind. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 9. And I'm pretty sure this is a very common story for most of you, if not all of you, even to myself. But what a revelation we got reading this a couple of times. Here's what it says, starting with verse 35. It says, And Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease. And when he saw the multitudes, everybody say multitudes. Now let me set this up for you. When he saw the multitudes, now these are the people that he's teaching, he's proclaiming the gospel to, and he's visiting them in the synagogues. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? It's important. All right, let's keep reading. Okay. He had compassion on them because they were distressed and afflicted like a sheep that had no shepherd. Like a sheep that had no shepherd. Say it with me. Like a that had no question. Who represents the sheep? Yeah, you can say it. Some of you are like, no way. Yes way. Who represents the sheep? We do. When you saw the word harvest, I know what you were thinking. Missions. Oh, yeah. Has nothing to do with me. Oh, and we'll get to this in a moment. Yeah, pray for the laborers that God will send the laborers. Yeah, nothing to do with me. Eh, wrong. We're going to learn today that the harvest that Jesus is referring to is the body of Christ itself. And I really believe the enemy really messed us up on this one, thinking that harvest, yeah, it's way over there. No, turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are the harvest. Go ahead. Now, let me, let, me, let me prove this to you. How many came to Bible study today? Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest. That's what throws us off right there. We think, okay, so we got to pray because the heart, no, these are the people that have been coming to church and following Jesus all along. Now, let me, let me really detail this for you. Because one thing is certain. We see Jesus as a human being. He's traveling. He's teaching. He's preaching. How many of you know Jesus is getting tired? He's human, okay? With so much that Jesus has done, there is still so much to do. Now, here's why you have to read all four Gospels. Because in Matthew's account... 
we read this portion, but the story finishes in Luke's account. That's why in order to get the whole picture of what Jesus is trying to teach, you have to read Matthew's account of this, and you have to read Luke's account of this. So let's go now to Luke's account. That's Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through 4, and here's what it says. It says, after this, everybody say after this. Believe it or not, those are going to be the two most important words in this scripture that we are going to read. Watch this. After this, and I'm going to explain what after this means in a moment, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two before him to every city where he was to go. Folks, everywhere Jesus is going to go, he's sending the, the ministry team ahead of him. Are you hearing me? Because the Bible says, you guys go. No, it says where he is going to go. So he's prepping the territory. And he's using average people like you and me. Folks, how many years did Jesus take teaching in the world? Only three. Everybody say only three. So if you think about it, not, I, could, I have to assume that a lot of these disciples that he's sending out weren't with Jesus all three years. Maybe one year, maybe a year and a half. Now, I'm going to bring this home for you. It is amazing to me how many believers have been in church for so many years and still just warming a chair. Turn to your neighbor and say, I knew I shouldn't have came to church today. God, you can tell them I won't get offended. It's all right. I'm not going to do it in this service, but in the last service, I asked how many people have been in church for two years. All hands up. Five years. 80% hands up. 10 years. 50% up. And I said to myself, you mean to tell me you've been in your church that long and you're still not getting the message? That it's not about coming to church. It's about serving the harvest. And the harvest is sitting right next to you. Everybody say, Pastor Vega, we know that you love us. We really do. I do. That's why I got to tell you the truth. See? Get the big picture. Jesus sees so much more in you than maybe you see in your own self. These guys only had about a year with Jesus, maybe a year and a half. And, he, and watch what happens when he sends them out. Let's finish the story, right? So it says, uh, pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest that he send labors into the earth. So here's the thing. And let me highlight for you that era that most believers have made with this, with this scripture. And I guarantee you, I, will, I probably will not be exaggerating if maybe 90% of us here this morning have also gotten the wrong picture when they read the scripture. You're thinking harvest. You're thinking laborers. Right? You're thinking, Lord, you know, yes. Say, Lord, my, I got friends and family members in Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. And Af he is not talking about that. Let me tell you what he's talking about. You ready? Send the laborers to the harvest. How many of you know that wild ministry is a part of that harvest? See, I only got one amen on that. You see that? How many know that velocity is a part of that harvest? How many know that greeters, ushers, parking lot ministry is all a part of serving the harvest? See, we got the wrong picture in mind. I think that was purposeful from the enemy. He wants us to think beyond the four walls of this building when Jesus just said that there are sheep without no what? Shepherd. That means the harvest is the church. 
The harvest is the church, sheep that have no shepherd. He was sending them where he had to go. And there's plenty of places that you and me can go. Folks, you are the laborers to whom he is referring to. It wasn't like, you know, Jesus said, pray. Isn't it interesting that as soon as Jesus made that statement, pray the Lord that he said, workers to the laborers to the harvest, what did he do? He sent them. It wasn't like, you know, yeah, let's pray and wait. No, he sent them. That's why look at verse 3. It says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. See, that's the second curveball, by the way, that the enemy is throwing at us. Watch this. Lambs among who? Wolves. What comes to our mind? Harvest, world. Lambs amongst wolves, world. Wrong again. That's a metaphor. If you study commentaries on that one verse, here's what you're going to find. It's a metaphor, okay, for sacrificing oneself for others. You send sheep into the wolves, it's sacrifice. The, 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 the thing that you have to picture, you have to get here, is not the world devouring us. Because how many of you know the world can never win against the body of Christ? Never. That's why Jesus says, I'm sending you, don't worry, no harm will come to you. What does that tell us? He just said it. No harm will come to you. That's why as strong as the gates of hell can be, they will never prevail against the church. You got to get that and you got to be convinced of that. So don't think when you read here, lambs among wolves, oh, it's talking about worldly people. No, it's talking about us sacrificing ourselves for the kingdom of God. Now, let me, of course, uh, how do you say, put that in perspective, you know, I have to assume all of us work here at 9 to 5, get home tired, right? But most of ministry work takes place after hours. Even the staff here. You know, I work here 9 to 5, right? But I, I tell people, you know, what I do from 9 to 5 is my job. What I do at night is ministry. That's right. Me and my wife, we're out doing home groups almost every night. Literally. And I'm not kidding. And we love it. We go where the harvest is. The harvest is the people. Are you hearing me? So, yes, it requires a certain level of sacrifice for the benefit of others, for the benefit of the body of Christ. But, man, can I tell you something? The rewards are priceless. Here and now and in eternity. That's why, man, when you know what you're doing is from God, it just fuels you. It doesn't look like a burden. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even feel like a sacrifice. But that's what this scripture is referring to, Okay. Uh, don't greet anyone, you know, when it says don't greet anyone on the road, that's another metaphor for be careful what is distracting you from really fulfilling what God has called you to do. Now, let me go back to this thing after this, because this is pretty powerful, right? You notice in Luke 10 verse 1, it says after this. Now, in order to understand what after this means, you must study chapter 9 because Jesus has just completed a series of discipleship with this 72 that he sends out. He didn't just send them out. Now, if you're familiar with chapter 9 of Luke, chapter 9 has 62 verses. How many know that's a long chapter, right? And maybe for some of you guys, you're going to be surprised to hear all the things that went on in that chapter. Let me highlight a few things for you. For example, we see Jesus training the 12 apostles in that chapter, and then he sends them out. We see him feeding the 5,000, but how many know he didn't, he didn't let them come back for seconds? Can I hear any men out there? They came back for seconds. He said, nope, sorry. Okay? Because they weren't coming back for the word. See? 
He establishes the church with Peter's response of who he was. Remember when we had that conversation? Uh, you know, when he, when he asked the disciples, who do men say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? Guess what? That is in that chapter too. But all the disciples were witness to that, okay? He talked about the true cost of discipleship by talking about carrying each one's his cross. I'm pretty sure you're familiar about that. He also, they were also witness of the transfiguration. And he also teaches them, check this out, how to rebuke a demon. Teaches them what it means to be great in heaven like a little boy. Can you believe all that is in that one chapter? So after Jesus finishes discipling all these guys, he said go. Folks, discipleship is not so that you can get to know God's word. Discipleship is so that you can learn how to apply God's word. Anybody can just listen. Anybody can listen. That's the cost, by the way, of discipleship. The cost of discipleship, you know, it might sound kind of humorous, but I find it interesting that probably some of us think that the cost of discipleship is just getting through discipleship class. No. It's what happens afterwards. What do you do with that knowledge? Okay? Because once you get it, Jesus is telling you, now go. Take what you've learned. Share it with others. Impact other people's lives with that. Because that's what he just did. Okay? I mean, they went through all this. You know, remember, he's teaching. He's proclaiming. He's going town to town. He's healing every sickness and every disease. So here's what's happening. After everything we have here, the word says, after this, after what? After the teaching, after the testing, after the trial, he turns to them and he says, go. Because the laborers are few, he is sending those right in front of them. He's saying, look at the harvest. And by the way, you notice how he didn't say the harvest? What did he say? Read the Bible clearly. It says, his harvest. That means, listen, listen, those folks that he's referring to, they already belong to him. He says, his harvest, my harvest. Stop thinking, yeah, it's those other people, you know, way out there. Let me pray that God know it's the people in front of you. So when, we, when you hear about a need here, right, do me a favor and don't start praying, oh, Lord. Yes, Lord, pray for the labor. Lord, please fill those needs that they have in wow and in velocity. Lord, fill those needs. And Lord's like, do you need a smack? <laughs> really? You got to pray for that? Now, here's what I'm really going to bring home. How is it possible that we have close to 2,000 committed members of the English Ministry of Faith Church, and we still have voluntary vacancies? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I knew I shouldn't have come to church today. I knew it. I knew it. How is that possible that a church this big can still have vacancies, can still have people, you know, not enough people greeting or ushering or parking lot or whatever the case may be. How is that possible? Because I'm going to tell you right now, this is what grieves the heart of Jesus more than anything. Harvest is full. My harvest. It's my harvest. But the laborers are few. And he's trying to equip you so that you can be the laborers that he is talking about here. Is anybody learning something this morning? Okay. We should not have not one 
voluntary vacancy. That is so, so important. I mean, anytime you hear of a need, I mean, you know, you ever see that little sign up that goes up 99 up there? Anybody ever, how, many, how many spot that from time to time? How many know that that's not announcing the next hymn, though? Can I hear an amen out there? You know what that means? That means wow is crying, help! <laughs> Hello! Yeah. And listen, can I tell you something? We can take care of the spiritual bureaucracy later, but if you want to help, just go and help, because if you have kids in there, they're your kids. Hello! In case you didn't know. Listen, I find it interesting. <laughs> you know, we worry so much about our kids. Check this out. Oh, thank you, Lord. That was a great one you just gave me. Thanks. We worry so much about our kids. You see a 99 up there, that means they need help with your kid. And you're like, oh, hallelujah. They may be dying in there. You don't know what's going on over there. Maybe you ought to go and find out. My kid okay? If I'm there, I'd be like, oh, yeah, they're fine. But now that you're here, <laughs> shut the door, shut the door, shut the door behind To cry for help. But can I tell you something? There is a 99 cry throughout this whole ministry. Home groups, connection groups, volunteer in all the areas. Matter of fact, I made a commitment. I don't know who's with me, but I'm going to extend an invitation to anybody who wants to join me. Not this weekend. Come in. But the following weekend, I personally will start serving in parking lot ministry. I'm just going to start. And maybe I'll inspire a few of you guys to join me. It's only a 15-minute before and after commitment. So if you're wondering, Pastor Vega, how are you going to be able to preach in the Spanish service? It's only a 15-minute before and after commitment. That's all it is. Okay? That means I'll be in the service before I need to preach. But if that's what it takes to encourage and inspire so that you can see this is not about what title you have. This is about having a servant heart. And all I can think about is how many people, me and anybody else who wants to join me, will bless as they're parking their cars and seeing those smiles and the kids holding up the signs. And if that's what it takes, guess what? We're there. Because it's not about just coming to church. It's about taking care of the harvest. Is anybody listening to me this morning? Okay. Discipleship, listen, it's a challenge. It's not always comfortable. Why do you think in John chapter 6, you don't have to look this up because this is not in the notes, but in John chapter 6, at the end of that chapter, we find disciples leaving Jesus, check this out, after he gets finishing discipling them. A few of them started walking away, and the apostles were like, hey, Jesus, in verse 66 or 67, they're leaving, and Jesus said, do you want to join them? He didn't go after them. Why would he need to? He paid the ultimate price for you and me on the cross of Calvary. What more do you need for him to do? All we can do is respond with the same kind of love that he gave us on that cross. See? It's about, and, and, and here's what Jesus is asking of all of us. Take care of the harvest. You know, in Luke chapter 10, I'm not going to read this, but I'll paraphrase it for you. The Bible even says that, look, you guys go. If they receive you, Amen. And if they reject you, dust the dust the dust off your feet. Jesus didn't have kind words for people who rejected him. Okay, he even said that it'll be like the days of Sodom. That's some pretty strong language. Matter of fact, there's so many things that Jesus said in the New Testament that are just hard, that really are hard. 
But that's because Jesus didn't want to confuse anybody, okay? But here's the thing. For those who receive it now, they have the same opportunity you have to experience the fullness of Christ. A fullness that brings vision in this life, vision in spiritual matters, and congregational vision that gives each one of you a purpose to be here. In case you are wondering, you're not here just to attend church. You are here because God has a specific purpose for you to be here. Do you believe that this morning? It's not by chance. Nothing with God is by chance. That's why when somebody tells me good luck, I say, well, I don't operate that way. I don't, you know, because it's not about luck. How many know with God is never, it's never about chance? God has a very specific purpose. I mean, look, I might read a fortune cookie for a laugh, but I'm not going to follow it. Hello. Some folks be reading these fortune cookies like, oh, my God, I'm going to hit the lottery next week. Praise Jesus. Don't praise Jesus for that. He didn't tell you that. But praise Jesus for so many silly things, right? Oh, praise Jesus. Look what this thing is telling me. It's telling you that you're a fool. That's what it's telling you. Hello. People are like, and it, it, listen, if some of you folks are here still reading horoscopes in the daily news, you need to get born again. Hello. That's foolishness to God. Why would you need that when the greatest source of information is right here? Why would you need that when, the, when God himself would love to speak to you? Are you hearing me this morning? Yeah. Last point, point number three. At the end of the big picture, we become the superheroes. I find it interesting that uh, Jackie started off talking about how Faith Church is looking for superheroes. Yes, you become the superheroes. Let's see how it ended for the 72. Verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us, just like you said, okay, in Luke chapter 9, in Luke chapter, just like you said, even the demons submitted to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Can you imagine that? Isn't it interesting that when you exercise God's will, you are beating up the devil every single time you do? You might not see it. Isn't it great that Jesus sees it? That's why he told the disciples, man, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You guys are doing your job. Okay? But let's finish it. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. However, everybody say however. Anytime Jesus throws a however, how many know he's about to prioritize something? That's, what you that's how you have to read that. However. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what we ought to get excited about. Now, check this out, though. Man, this is like a, 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 a superhero movie, right? Demons submit, Satan fall from heaven, trample on snakes, overcome the power of the enemy. I don't know about you, but it sounds like a Christian Marvel superhero in the making. I think we used to call him Bible Man. Anybody remember Bible Man? Bible man. Bible man. I know it was a little corny, right? Kind of, right? But our kids learn some stuff from, that, from those things. Or what, Superbook? Anybody remember Superbook? Superbook dates back like 100 years, right? Something like that? I mean, right? But look at this authority is not being given. Listen, listen, listen. To pastors, evangelists, teachers, prophets. This authority is given to you. Yes, you. The question is, 
Do you believe it? Out of all the core values here at Faith Church, the one that remains the most important is winning souls, by far. And just as important is learning how to love one another by caring. So now, let me close with this. Jesus always demonstrated love in a very tangible way, in every possible way you can think of. Are you aware um, that Jesus implemented almost all of the ministries in the church by practicing them himself? I'm talking about the ministry that you see in the church. Oh, yeah. Did you know that Jesus led home groups? Are you aware of that? Yeah. Jesus led home groups. As a matter of fact, I find it interesting that Jesus would just invite himself to people's houses. He'd be like, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. I'm coming to your house today. Right? It wasn't like Jesus, why do you think, <laughs> why do you think Martha went so crazy? Jesus is coming? Who, who, who said he was coming? So she's going around going crazy, trying to cook for everybody, finding what to do. And when he gets there, Jesus never asked for food, by the way. And he tells Martha what? Mary has chosen the best part. What do you think Jesus was doing there? It's called Bible study. He was leading a home group at Lazarus' house. He was teaching. At the house where they broke, where the lady broke the alabaster jar. What do you think he was doing? He was teaching. Small group. So if you're wondering where we get this thing, connection groups or home groups for us is not a program. Get that out of your head. No, it's part of fulfilling the New Testament mandate. That's why we talk about it all of the time. But let's not, let's not end there. Are you aware that Jesus ministered to children? Jesus believed in children's ministry. As a matter of fact, it was the disciples that didn't want Jesus to be bothered by kids. But what did Jesus tell the disciples? He said, listen, let them come on to me. They're heirs of the kingdom of God. And by the way, when the kids came to them, it wasn't like he kind of smacked them in the head. Hey, how you doing today? Yeah, good? Yeah, go on your way. No. Hello. The Bible says he prayed with them. He ministered to them. Why do you think they were drawn to him? They saw this love resonate out of this man without them even really knowing exactly who he was. He spent time ministering to kids. Okay? Did you know that Jesus also, I mean, this, this continues to get better, okay, was a great usher in the church. Let me ask you a question. How do you feed 5,000 people plus with some sense of organization? Right? When he fed the 5,000, can you imagine if he would say, okay, everybody just line up. That line would go on forever. And then by the end, people start hating Jesus. Man, this food's taking so long to get here. Right? The Bible says he went buffet on those guys, right? They ate so much, they had 12 baskets left over. But he had to do it in an organized way. That's why in verse 19 it says, sit everybody down. Let's get everybody comfortable. Let's get everybody organized. Matter of fact, Jesus loved fellowshipping so much, he wanted to be sure that there was a wedding, that that wedding didn't run out of wine. Can I hear any man out there? Don't get no ideas, by the way. Oh, man, got no wine for, oh, oh, wait, I remember what Jesus did. Hold it. Hey, Jesus, can you help me out here? No, nah, he can't help you out there. But think about all these things. So I want you to, now, now I'm going to really put it in perspective. Are you ready? How many want Jesus, or better yet, yeah, let me say it this way. How many want Jesus to come to your house? All right, I need a Pentecostal response. How many want Jesus to come to your house? Thank you. 
How many think you have Jesus in your house? Are you sure? Somebody said, Pastor Vega is about to set us up good here. Let me not say nothing. Jesus is not here. He's not. Who's here is his representation called the body of Christ. So let me rephrase the question. How much or how many of the body of Christ are you entertaining in your home? Because if you have no interest in that, then you probably don't have that much interest in having Jesus in your home. Everything went from that. But I want you to think about it. We are the harvest. What did he say? Send the laborers into the harvest, the church. Jesus tells us over and over again, we are the body of Christ. So if we are the body of Christ, listen, there are some church folks that I will not even want in my house. Hello? But are we making a conscious, conviction, spiritual effort to minister to Jesus through the body of Christ? You know, would you be willing to open up your home once a week, once every two weeks, invite a few folks over and just discuss the word of God? Are you hearing me this morning? This is where it becomes real. So when you hear me talk about home groups, I live this day. It's not an option for me. And it's not a requirement either. It's what we're supposed to do. If we're going to represent the body of Christ. That's why he says in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? I don't want no one leaving here with condemnation. That is never, ever. Matter of fact, Scripture says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not a condemning message. This is Jesus trying to tell you that he loves you, he saved you, and he needs you to go into the harvest. Because if anything is going to get done within the body of Christ, how many of you know that sheep produce sheep. Do you have that potential? Yes, you do. That's the message. Jesus wants you to be his superhero. Did we learn anything this morning? Amen. Let's stand to our feet.